and welcome to a special edition of the McGregor Podcast. I'm Mark Bricker, your host for this special Hot Topic podcast series. Recently on a Wednesday night as part of our Journey Together ministry, we hosted a Hot Topic night with Omar Edwards leading. The topic, thinking biblically about my relationship to money. Joining me now is Omar. Welcome, Omar. Glad to be back. All right, so we're about ready to start part two of our Hot Topic. And you kicked off this section of your teaching with your fourth out of 10 considerations. And this fourth one that's coming up was discipleship. Now, I really love this section a lot, but it's not something that a lot of times people think of when they think about money or spending uh, is the word discipleship. So why this consideration? Where did where did this come from? Well, <clears throat> well, it's a disciple, first of all, right? Disciple is... Um, is not just the student. We all, we, you know, most of us learn uh, how to spend money, or, or, or we build up a relationship with money through what we see, right? Through what, through what, through what, uh, through our like, surroundings, through our culture. Um, that that first that first part of our culture is our family, right? We so we learn from mom and dad. We learn from, you know, the family how they spend, and and, and typically that that kind of you know that 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 it's learned, right? It's kind of generational. Um, but that's learning, and then, but discipleship's more than that, right? Being a disciple is learning, um, and then seeing it modeled, right? To then, to then learn it so that I can then model it, right? Mm-hmm. Then I can I can act it out, I can live it out, and then I can model it to someone else, right? Um, and in regards, and so discipleship is 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 a process we go through um, in order to mature, in order to grow, in order to be better at something, better at what we do, right? From a spiritual perspective, obviously, you know, we hear that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but our, our money and how we use it is part of us. It is, it is, it is one of the parts of our whole, right? Um, I spend, I work, I save, I, you know, and so that's, but those are areas where I can learn from, I can excuse me, I can learn uh, from someone else. Those are learning. Those are areas where then I can then see that modeled, right? We have a bunch of examples now. We're in you know digital age where I can just click on something and 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 get some input on how to better use your money, and I can start practicing that, learn what's best, and then uh, model that for others, um, particularly my children or my family. Now. But this is not just that. It's not just a. It's not just a lesson on how to do something. And 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 it, did I learn the lesson? Am I able to do it? There's a spiritual aspect to this. There's there's again, um, like I reiterated before, and I'll I'll say it again. God is interested, right? In 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 how we do in what we do. Excuse me, with our money. He's interested in how we use it. He's interested in that because that's that's part of our whole. And so, some of us. You know, myself included, uh, spend um, unwisely. Spend in a manner that maybe isn't efficient, maybe isn't effective, isn't a wise way to do that. And I believe Scripture teaches us the importance of stewardship, and He shows us that um, the stewardship is important, even you know, through His disciples who who were with Him. And so, um, 
you know, that gets addressed as well. But mm. it's important to be discipled in all in all aspects and all behaviors, and particularly spending where so many people, so many of us, yeah. have this lack of control, and lack of maturity yeah. in our spending. And so, um, I, I do see it in the but not just there. I see it. You know, there's 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 some other Old Testament passages. You know, where 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 God instructs His people in regards to you know. Um, you know, handle money. You know, God calls Joseph right to to. He, and one of the the great gifts He gives Joseph is this gift of administration, um, so that He basically saves the entire countryside right through through Egypt's riches and Egypt's um, uh, you know storage and their grain. Um, but we see this over and over and over. Um, we see this in some of the parables, and we see Jesus. Um, you know, teaching about money in different, or teaching, you know, <laughs> discipleship and using money in certain examples. And I think it's a missed topic. It's one of those subjects that we really don't look at. You know, we look yeah. at we look at money as an external thing. Yeah, it's not a it's not a it's not a it's only a church thing when they're asking for money, right? It's yeah. only a church thing when they're asking for offering and tithes. But aside from that, it's not. But again, it's part of the whole. Yeah, you uh, you made it pretty clear at one point in your teaching that. Uh, that our our attitude and our approach to, to money and spending reveals quite a bit about where we are spiritually and where our heart is. And so, uh, I, I'm I'm looking forward to folks hearing this uh, this second part. So if you're if you're listening now and you realize, wait a minute, I didn't listen to part one. I would encourage you to press stop right now and go back and listen to part one first, and then join us for the second part. But if you've already listened to part one, join me now as we listen to part two of thinking biblically about my relationship to money. This brings us to verse 12 of Philippians chapter four, and, and, and we're gonna see another four considerations here in verse 12. So I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. Philippians 4.12. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. This brings us to our next point, our next consideration about money, discipleship. Now what? Now how does money, or how does discipleship relate to money? That's just, that does not sound right. How does discipleship relate to money? Well, number one, righteous financial stewardship is learned. And why do I use the word righteous financial stewardship? Because there are a lot of people who, without seeking God's direction, and without right, faith or without fear or reverence of the Lord, they're able to manage their finances, right? They, they have, we know them. We know so many people, millionaires, billionaires, right? Folks who, who, are, who are rich, who are wealthy, who are, who are very well uh, uh, financially, have, 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 you know, very well set, uh, stable, they're, excuse me, very stable financially. Um, we know a lot of people like that. And they, they did it, right? And, and they'll tell you, 
They won't give God the credit. They won't recognize what we've recognized earlier this evening, right? They'll tell you, I, I, you know, I, I, I invested, I pulled myself up with my bootstraps and I, whatever. I used sound economics, I used sound principles. That exists, that exists. And it's, there's nothing wrong in learning those things. As a matter of fact, we should learn those things. We should, we should seek to, right, improve the knowledge we have. We should seek to learn how to better invest, right, how to better say. We should learn to do all things better. That's the, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's wisdom that has been bestowed by God, though they don't give him credit for. But righteous financial stewardship is stewarding our finances, stewarding our resources to the glory of God. Remember, what's the big idea? Am I honoring God? Am I glorifying God in my finances? And so righteous financial stewardship does just that. God is glorified in every financial transaction or in most of the financial transactions that I do. So that type of stewardship is learned. That type of stewardship is also practiced, right? It's learned and it's practice, and it is in the learning and practicing of that stewardship that we are discipled. Now, the Holy Spirit teaches us the secret to godly financial management. It isn't just about profit, that's worldly. It isn't just about wealth. When it's only about wealth, it's worldly. It isn't just about gain. When it's only about gain, it's worldly. It is about listening to God about where he wants us to use that money for his glory. Amen? Where does God want me to spend that money? Well, that's, a funny, that's a funny question. Am I gonna pray to God and ask him where he wants me to spend that money? Yes. Yes. Am I gonna seek his will? In prayer, am I gonna leverage my decisions, the wisdom of my decisions on the word of God? Yes. Am I gonna use biblical principles to plan things out accordingly so that he would be glorified? Yes. Am I gonna include the needs of his church and his people, not just in church giving and not just in, 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 in budget giving, but to, to the people that need within the church, to the people that we've been called to support and help, to the people that we've been called to assist in the church that are in need. Are we gonna do that? Do I ask God for opportunities to bless someone else? Do I ask God for opportunities that I can give and show my generosity to bless the life of one of his children. That's a difference. How does he disciple us? Well, when we go to the Bible, there's a story that some of us here studied last Sunday, and it's the feeding of the 5,000. Now, the feeding of the 5,000 is an amazing miracle. It's such, it's such an important miracle that is, it is one of the Two miracles, the only two miracles that is found in all four Gospels. Anyone, anyone want to guess the other miracle that's found in all four Gospels? The big one. What? The resurrection. Jesus feeding the 5,000 and the resurrection. Those two, passage, those two stories 
With those two accounts, we see them in all four Gospels. The only two accounts that we see in all four Gospels. We see that in Matthew 14, um, Luke 9, John 6, and Mark, I don't, I, I, I put Matthew 14, I think it's Mark 6. I should know I taught this last week. <laughs> Jesus sends his disciples, listen to this. So, so this is the, so let me, let me set it up for you. Here's the feeding of the 5,000. It is, it is set up by Jesus sending out his disciples, right? He sends out the 12 before he feeds the 5,000. He sends them out. He tells them, right? He says, go out there and don't take anything with you. You're going to go out. You're going to spread the gospel. You're going to preach, right? But you're going to depend and trust fully on God. You're not going to take a staff with you. You're not going to take an extra robe with you. You're not going to take any money with you. You're not taking anything extra. Everything you need, I'm going to supply it on the way. So he sends the disciples out to teach them that he, that he provides, right? To teach them to trust him. Following? So he teaches and he has them practice the fact that they're going to go out and they're going to trust in God. That's something for us to learn. We need to trust in God for our provision. And so then they come back, right? And then they have a whole bunch of people meet up with them. There's 5,000 men that are hungry, probably about 25,000 people sitting, right, near, near, near the coast of the Galilean Sea. And all you have, five breads and two fish. And so he then multiplies them and he provides the resources to feed them. So he, he calls on them. He sends them to trust in him. And he sends, right, they come back, and then he shows them that he can provide even large needs. And so he creates what they need in order to feed the people, but he doesn't leave it there. Then, he then after he provides the resources, he then tells them to prepare the people. 50 here, 100 here. 50 here, 100 here. 50 here, 100 here. What's he teaching them? Administration. Trust. Provision. Now you have what you need. Now here's how you administer it. And he sends them out to feed and to take care of their own section. And then when he's right, so he teaches them about what they need with the logistics. And when they're done, he tells them to collect what was left over so they would have for another day, so they would not waste. That is a beautiful picture of financial discipleship. It is a beautiful picture of Jesus teaching his disciples about the need to be discipled in resource management with the resources God has given us. Praise God for that. Were the fish and bread theirs? No. Were the fish and, the, and bread enough to feed 25,000 people? No. But yet God provided. He provided the source. He provided the resource. He provided the structure. He provided everything. They did the work, they learned, they were discipled, but it came from God. That's how we look at discipleship in regards to money. We should learn prayerfully, trustingly, faithfully that God would lead us to use what money we have for his honor and his glory. I know how to be brought low Verse 12, Philippians 4. I know how to abound, and here's the passage, in any and every circumstance. Fifth consideration about money and providence. As we explained a few weeks ago, providence is God's sovereignty in action. 
and he teaches us his sovereign will for our lives in different circumstances. God wants you to know his will, and how does he do that? Well, number one, in the word, right? We see his will in the word, and in the areas that we can't really connect, in the word that we can't really kind of pair up one-on-one with circumstances in our life, he uses those circumstances. And what does he do? He uses any and every circumstance. Good times, bad times. When I have a lot of money in my pocket and when I don't. So remember I told you about 100,000 plus in debt? I'm gonna rewind a little bit before that. I was 23 years old, 22 years old, excuse me. And I was living in San Diego and I was working in sales. I made 8.88 an hour. This is 20 something years ago, 25, 26 years ago. I made $8.88 an hour. I grossed $200,000 my second year in commission. And just like a responsible 22 year old would do, I spent every single cent. Part of the time I lived across the border. Do you know what rent on a three bedroom house overlooking the Pacific Ocean with marble floors runs, ran for in Tijuana, Mexico in, I don't know, 20, in the year 2000, in the year 1998? $230 a month. $230 a month. I was clocking 200 grand, Pastor David. Paying $235 a month. And I saved none of it. I spent every, and I spent it as hard and as fast as I possibly could. I had a car. Free. Because I was doing, I was in the process of doing ministry while I was working. God provided me a car. Again, it wasn't, you know, just like the one I have now. But, but it, was, it ran. Got me to where I needed to go, but yet every weekend, I rented a car. I rented a Jeep. Because I wanted to, let's go up to evangelize. Sure, let's take Pacific Highway. Instead of going the 20-minute drive across the border that it was, we would take Pacific Highway all the way down because I wanted to strut my Jeep. I did not acknowledge God's will in various circumstances. The 47-year-old that stands before you regrets that with every fiber of his being. We need to work within his will and providence. See, this is, this is not about us, right? I, 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 we have money and we spend so flippantly, we spend so carelessly, We spend so haphazardly. James 4, 13 and 15 teaches us something about this. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Are we asking God for his Direction. Are we learning to live within God's will and providence? Do I need to spend 
$6 a day, a morning and coffee on my way to work. Do we? Some of us have it like that, and praise God if you do. But others don't, and then they struggle at the end, right? They're, they're trying to make ends meet at the end. Do we need to go out as often as we do to dinner? If we, if we have other goals and other things we want to do, if God is, is, is calling us to use our finances in a better way, in a more edifying way, in a way to bless others, in a way to bless our family, in a way to invest and leave something for my children, is... What is God calling us to do? Are we seeking his guidance? Or are we just, I have it, so I'm going to spend it. Don't be 22-year-old Omar. Don't do that. It says, for I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. It is the up and downs of our financial situations where we learn. So this brings us to another consideration, a negative one. It's greed. Understanding God's providence and his will is key in battling greed. Matthew 6, 19, verse 21 says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, right? Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 23, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, does money and our relationship to money drive us to places where God does not want us to be when it comes to accumulating wealth? Will the $10 I spend today, will the $100 I spend today, the 1000 or 10000 I spend today, what impact will that be then later? Things to think about. Our financial peaks and valleys are designed to break our grip on money. Sticking with the topic of highs and lows, here's a biggie, debt. Debt. Paul knew and he learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. Now, we live in a culture of debt. Now, on my phone I have an app, it's called Credit Karma. Anybody have that app? Now, it was helpful to me to monitor my credit. It was very helpful. But once I got out of the red, my, right, once I started improving and once things started to look up, what did I start getting? Oh, your credit's doing much better. Try out these new credit cards from Credit Karma. <laughs> we live in a culture of debt. You can't go on a shopping site. Now, you can, now every single shopping site, Walmart, Target, whatever it is, it gives you the opportunity. Pay in four installments with a firm. Pay in three installments with, there's another one with a K. I forget which one that is. That is our culture. Let me tell you about the effects of that, particularly for the younger generation that is here. The average APR, I said this last time, on new credit cards is, right, 25%. So if you owed $10,000 on a card with 25%, and you paid $100, it would take you 15 years and a month to pay that off. Because you would pay an additional $18,000 in interest. 
If you doubled it, your payment, $200, it would take you eight years and eight months to pay that off. And you'd pay around $12,000 in interest. 300, take you sooner, it'd be four years. But you'd still spend an extra seven grand in paying off $10,000 worth of debt. Right? But instead, if you took that money and you saved it, you could make that money go further. See, Proverbs 22, verse 7 says, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. That is truth. That is truth, and even more so today. Right? They used to send you to jail now. Now they don't need to go catch you. They don't need to go find you. It's in your credit report. The moment you put your security number down somewhere, they know, and you owe. They will find you. And if you leave it long enough, they'll find your employer. And if you don't want to pay, they'll ask a judge to tell your employer to pay. We are truly slaves to our debtors because debt begets debt. Debt begets debt. The reason why we are in the situation we are in, billions and billions, almost $100 billion in debt as, in, as individuals in this nation is because we have allowed our relationship with money to get us in trouble. Getting into debt to buy something I cannot afford is a failure to trust God. It is a failure to trust God. I'm not speaking about buying a home. But I want to buy a toy. I want to buy an electronic gadget. I want to buy this. I want to buy that. So I'm going to put it all on credit because I can't afford it now. Guess what? You cannot afford it. This is a really big expense. Let's put it on the credit card. And we live a life out of debt. And, and that is money that you will never see. That is money that God will never be able to use. That is money that God has given you that we have wasted. Wasted. Because of our responsibility. And our toddler-like spending habits. The lack of control in our spending. I know, I've lived, I lived it. I spent, I made decisions with money like, like, like my two-year-old son did, like James did 10 years ago, and anything he wanted. Just, I want it, I'll get it. Debt begets debt, and debt wastes God's money. What do we do with our debt? Hard choices. We go to God and say, Lord, help me with these hard choices. Help me understand your will for this purchase. Help me understand your will for what I need to get. Help me understand your will for what I need to invest. Help me understand your will for what I need to save. Help me, God. And he will. Because it is God's will that you glorify him in the use of your money. And everything we ask in his name, right, according to his will, in his purpose, it will be done. If I earnestly come to God and honestly and sincerely say, Lord, I need your guidance, and I put it into practice, he will guide us, he will give us the wisdom. Uh -huh. 
brings us to verse 13. I can do all things through Christ, through him who strengthens me, Philippians 4.13. And this, my friends, is the topic in which this verse is absolutely in context. Management of money, of resources. We can be good stewards of God's um, resources. Why? Because he strengthens us. Because he enables us. How do we manage our money well? Well, I've been, I've been repeating this over and over. We pray. Matthew 6, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. Pray. Seek God's will. Seek God's face. Seek doing God's purpose with your finances. And don't forget to give. Because there's blessing in that. I, I, I'm not going into that, I said, but... Plan. We should know where our money goes. We should know where our money goes. The advent of the new bank apps and checking account apps has created a generation, myself included, of lazy balance, whatever it is, check account balancers, for lack of a better term. Just show of hands. How many, how many still balance their checkbooks? <laughs> so I guess the other hands would be, how many allows CD Bank and Citibank and Chase Bank to balance our checkbooks? And that would be the rest of us probably. We should know where our money goes. We should be proactive in understanding and taking care of the resources God gives us. Right, if we were in somebody's house or somebody let us home, home sit or whatever and there were house sit and there was some, there was some expensive, uh, 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 I don't know, crystal or something, we would make sure, right, that we were taking care of that. We don't want to break that. That's the worst thing in the world. Somebody lends you something and you break it, right? It's like, oh, man. But, right? But we're not like that with God's resources, it's okay if we break his stuff. It's okay if we throw it out. It's okay if we don't take care of it. It's okay if we mismanage God's stuff. It's not. It's called us to good management, sound management. We plan. Luke 14, 28, 30, it says, For which of you deciding to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Let us finish what we have started in the name of Jesus. Amen? Let us finish building well. Let us finish using what God has given us well and bring him glory in every financial endeavor. Giving, Luke 6, 28, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. The Bible tells us about investment and saving for the future. Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That's not just money. I didn't learn financial principles. All my dad told me was save your money. I listened real well, didn't I? But what lessons can we share 
What, if I don't have the, the funds to leave an inheritance to my grandchildren, then but what can I do? Then I can teach them. I can learn and impart with them. The, the financial wisdom, I can learn and impart with them. Biblical principles, financial principles, teach them about the topics we've discussed today. Teach them what the Bible says about how they manage their money. Parents, if we have not done so, we need to do a better job. If we have not been responsible for our funds, we should desire with all our heart that our children not live the same cultural, familial, or social pattern that we have lived in. Let us impart to them an inheritance of knowledge. Impart to them an inheritance of faith. Impart to them an inheritance, right? Impart to them a knowledge that I can go to God and I can use these things and I can learn to be responsible because in this I will glorify him. Teach them that. Teach them that. Let's teach them that. Spend well. When they collected the 12 baskets of disciples after the 5,000 were fed, they collected it. He didn't waste anything. Proverbs 21.20 says, Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. You know, if you bought every iPhone that came out since they first came out, you would have spent around $16,000. Some of you have bought every iPhone since they first came out. You've spent $16,000 on iPhone technology, on basically the same phone, the same three phones. <laughs> yes, 13, 14, and 15 are exactly the same. And so... Had you done that, had you taken that money and invested it in Apple stock each year, instead of being at a negative 16,000, you'd be at a plus 147,000. Had you bought a Nokia for 50 bucks. <laughs> now, right, this is the pot caught in the kettle black considering that I've had an iPhone since they came out. So I haven't had everyone but I've had a lot of them. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy to think. Impulse buys. Impulse buys. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that impulse buys are buys without the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It, 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 or they are buys that I did not go to God for. They are buys, purchases that I did not go to Jesus for. There are purchases that I did not consider or contemplate the impact they would have on my budget and consequently on what God wanted me to do with my budget. I would submit to you that impulse buying is a sin. An act of faithlessness. Don't throw stones at me. I'm not being legalistic here, but just hear me out. I do what I want to do and I don't consider God's plan. Would we not consider that a sin in almost any other category? We would. But because we impulse buy all the time, all of us here, impulse buys do not honor God. Because God has called us to honor him, to glorify him in everything we do. Amen? Everything we do. 
in everything we do. What's my point? My point is I no longer want to impulse buy, Pastor David. I want to honor God in every purchase. I want to be faithful in every purchase. I want to be led by his spirit that my purchase today is not going to be affect me. I'm not talking about the bottle of water that you buy in the supermarket per se. You guys know what I mean. I'm talking about, oh, nice sports car. Let me get that without thinking about it. Let me trade in my two-year-old car that is perfectly good and add on to debt because, oh, I don't know, I want a new car. Let me, understanding my financial situation, buy the 2023 instead of buying a perfectly good 2020. Lord, what do you think about this? Help me understand what I'm about to do. Is this the right time? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it might be, but we go to God for that. Let's go to verse 19. Got a couple minutes left. And here we learn about God's provision. Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You see the parable of the talents. The end result of stewardship does not solely depend on God's provision. It also depends on our stewardship. God gives, we use what he gives us. Let us not abuse or waste God's provision. And finally, verse 20. Last consideration about money. We worship in our use of money. To, God, to our God and Father be glory forever and, forever and ever. Amen. Proverbs 3, 9 to 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And so the question tonight is, do I honor God with my money? Am I worshiping? Is it an act of worship? Am I taking into account his will, his purpose, and his glory? Am I, am I being thankful and content for what he has given me? listening to this special McGregor podcast, Thinking Biblically About My Relationship to Money, Part 2. And don't forget to listen to the upcoming Part 3 of this Hot Topic series, a special Q&A podcast with Omar Edwards. Edwards.